Well, welcome to Super Duper Stitches. This is just the Paranormal Podcast about the science of the strange. I'm Jake. Did you say you're Jake? I said I'm Jake. Okay, I thought you did. He's Wyatt. I'm Jake. It's the show we're doing. We're back again. Good. We've done it. We're doing it. Probably. Um, we talk You're about welcome. spooky things. We try and examine it from a scientific perspective. That's the whole deal. We'll eventually get back on our actual schedule, but for now, we're just happy to be doing it at all. Exactly. In a post-Trump universe. Good God. We're recording this on the day it's supposed to come out, which is Thursday, uh, which means as of yesterday, things are a little bit less shitty. Exactly. And anything that is still shitty is now powdered with the sweet sugar of neoliberalism. Exactly. <laughs> Anyway, thank goodness <laughs> we're not in a burning hellscape quite yet. Yeah, it's just a smoldering one. A smoldering one. But yeah, we're back at it. It's been busy despite being kind of weird and shut down. Hopefully everyone out there is keeping their uh, sanity in check. As best as can be hoped, at least. Indeed. Since nothing uh, has uh, really changed for everyone's day-to-day in any meaningful oh way boy. yet. Indeed. Um, but hey, you know, we're, we're through the darkest part of the year. I learned... Earlier this week, that the third January of any given year is called a is called or er, the third January. Wow! When you have that many Januarys, it is a bad thing. It's it's a tough time. <laughs> um, I'm of course talking about the January of the week, Monday. <laughs> the third Monday of January <laughs> is called Blue Monday, oh. and it is officially, statistically, the saddest day of the year. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and I was like. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> anyway, we're past that, so we're heading towards our uh, golden showers of May. <laughs> and in the meantime, Jake, I believe we're here to talk about Cape small shit. dark spaces. Oh. Yes. A.K.A. Um, and as it is an even episode... It is me. It is you. So I said just a couple of episodes ago on Christmas Day, I think, that I wanted to really lean into my love of caves, uh, specifically cave ecology, love me some cave critters, and all the weird shit involved in their evolution. Uh, It's just something I've always been super into. Anyway, I'm hugely fond of how caves form, what they look like, and of course, how spooky they can be. How naughty. Before I talk about the cave stuff I want to talk about, should we thank our official uh, sponsor, who I believe mm. you are partaking of at this very moment. I am indeed. Yes, of course, we simply cannot go on without talking about a little brewery in Western Massachusetts, which of course combines heavy metal, Dungeons and Dragons, and beer to make delicious, awesome, top shelf beer. Beer, And that, of course, is Four Phantoms, the grooviest brewery you maybe haven't had any beer from yet. But you need to at some point. If we keep hounding you at some point, surely you're going to you try will. it. And once you've tried it, you're going to buy it. Because if you try to drink that shit in the store, <laughs> you're getting in trouble. <laughs> Take it from me. It doesn't work. But yeah, Four Phantoms, super delicious beer. They currently have uh, four offerings during the winter season, or at least in these uh, these current months of winter that we're in, which is their Dirtweed IPA, a delicious floral New England style. Super awesome. Easily one of my favorite IPAs I've ever had. The point where there's one in your hand right now. I am currently sipping on that bad boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you finished it, actually, it looks like. so. Nope, nope. Okay. <laughs> I've just been sipping on an empty can this whole time. I see. 
I got that out of the recycling bin. And they have their <laughs> Witch Cult IPA. I had one of those a couple days ago, and I'd forgotten how much I like it. It's really good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, they also have their uh, Worship Doom Stout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Imperial, I believe. Imperial Stout, indeed. Her Majesty's Stout. And... Uh, <laughs> These uhs are so good. <laughs> and bite back, blood orange sour, <laughs> the one that you've had and I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. It clearly didn't leave a lasting impression on my <laughs> mind. <laughs> it's a Thursday evening. We're tired. Yeah. Bite back is great. If it's anything at all like uh, Purple Potion, then I'm super excited for it. I loved Purple Potion. That was real oh good. Oh, my God. Purple Potion. Give yeah. more of that. I think that's probably on its way. I would imagine that's busting back out in spring or summer. Probably, yeah. One of the fun things about Fort Phantoms, they have like, uh, they really lean in on the seasonal offerings, mm-hmm. which is super cool. And they have different artwork for each seasonal version of the beers. So they have the same character that goes with the particular beer variety and then different scenes of them in each season. It's very cool. It's super cool. So consider buying some Four Phantoms beer. They are available for curbside pickup during these dark and dreary times. Or you can pick them up in either Massachusetts or Rhode Island, I believe, is where they are distributed currently. All kinds of different places where you can buy a beer. It's there. Otherwise, as ever, uh, swing by untapped.com to leave them a review. It'll help with their exposure, much as telling us how great we are on Apple or whatever review board that is itunes i don't use apple so i don't know what i'm doing Apple podcast you're right the first apple podcast leave us a review on (laughs) napster.com it'll help with their exposure leave a fun review mentioning us and we'll read it on here there you go so thank you for phantoms thank you so much and uh yeah back to the show into the show to begin with even cave stuff i'm gonna do things a little differently today than i usually do my plan is to first introduce a common horror trope about caves via a specific movie example and then contrast that with real world cave facts all right so just just like our creature feature special report back in episodes 81 and 82 the aim here is not to just shoot down movie beats as being wrong because they're not realistic enough instead it's more like how this whole podcast is meant to work which is pointing out how damn cool this planet of ours is and highlighting the good parts about the scary stuff there you go. So first up, no discussion of scary cave movies would be worth a damn without prominently featuring 2005's The Descent. Ooh. Have you seen The Descent, Wyatt? Is that the one where a bunch of chicks go into a cave? Mm-hmm. I have seen parts of this movie. It's a good one. I believe one. they are... Should we spoiler alert right now? Uh, I'm not going to... I'm going to do a general synopsis, but I'm not going to... If people haven't seen it, I think they should... So I'm not going to give away the whole ending. I'll just give general beats of what it's about. Yeah. I think it does not go well. Well, it's a horror movie, so that's kind of a given. (laughs) I think many of them do not survive. (laughs) There are underground creatures. Chuds. Chuds. Uh, The budget was 3.5 million pounds, which in 2005 was um, about $6.4 million. So kind of a modest wow. budget for movies. I mean, it's a shitload of money by our standard, but for movies, eh, not so much. Well, there were no special effects. Everything was real. They just It was a documentary. It was a very expensive documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what happens is, as you said, uh, several women, uh, friends, all go into a cave together. It's all on the tail end of this one woman loses her entire family in a car crash, um, her husband and daughter, basically. And then uh, like a year later, I think, she is going to the front um, to visit some friends in um, North Carolina. I think I'm not sure how many characters. I can't remember. It's been a while. I don't remember how many characters are British and how many aren't. Huh. They go to America to go to this cave in the Appalachians. 
because it's North Carolina, maybe it's the Appalachians. I'm not sure where the cutoff is latitudinally when you start saying it a different way. All critical details to the story, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they go in a cave. Uh, turns <laughs> out it's actually an uncharted cave that was supposed to be surprised. Like, oh, hey, we're going to be the first ones to explore this cave. And then they just get lost. And then monsters happen. Scary little <laughs> pale, creepy monsters who are not little. They're human size. And they attack. And it's scary. And that is, this, I guess that's the major premise. This is a terrible you description. You kind of spoiled it. <laughs> well, no, because I mean, that's on like, I'm kidding, the cover. I'm kidding, I'm You're good. Do you want to see some images of the critters? Uh, sure. Let okay. me see those critters. And don't you dare put up a picture of yourself. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, put it in the chat. Here's one. Oh. Which is a very great moment. Uh, as Ooh. far as that specific moment is a really good scare. And here's a uh, uh. a clearer picture of one from more nice. of a thing. So yeah, just like pale, creepy, uh, golemy looking things. Yeah, kind of like if you merged a human with a bat and a mole all at the same time. Yes, uh, they have. Um, they're blind. They are very. Yeah, uh, they have aggressive. very well developed eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's that's generally the, the, they're they're pale. They they have the kind of general. Uh, characteristics you expect of a thing that lives underground where they are blind and colorless and um yeah they they want to eat stuff mm-hmm. it's a movie that I, it, it was very well received at the time um it was one of the first horror movies to have an all-female cast like that that weren't just mm. your generic um kind of you know whether it's scream queens or final girls or whatever these are women presented as being capable and like professional spelunkers and stuff who knew what they were doing they didn't have to have like men helping them out of their situations like a lot of these types of movies do they just could handle themselves so that was a pretty nice step forward for this genre mm-hmm. but how does it compare to caves in real life that's the question we're all really wondering <laughs> Uh, no <laughs> difference. <laughs> yes. One thing I brought up when we last talked about caves was mammals. So I'd read a Reddit theory by someone who wanted to use their quote unquote experience in evolutionary biology to explain how crawlers, i.e. ghouls, like those weird white pale humanoid things we talk about, I talk about a lot on the show, <laughs> a theory about why they might be real. The crux of his theory was that some kind of new world primate, like a monkey or something long ago, might have evolved to live in caves. Hmm. Uh, Similarly, in The Descent, the idea was for the creatures, coincidentally also called crawlers, it turns out, to be, as described, I believe by the director, um, cavemen who never left the caves. Okay. A basic premise. It's kind of a a cute idea. Oh, that's just like, what if if people just were fully uh, cave-dwelling and this is what they were like? Hmm. We can totally skate past the part where human ancestors didn't get down into the Americas until only like 15,000 years ago. And as far as evolutionary time, not enough. Uh, but we'll instead just look generally at what it takes to live in a cave full time. Oh it's all about the food and the temperature. So it's kind of like quarantine. <laughs> yes. Uh, food can come, at least in part, into caves via flowing water. Nearly all caves that actually support life are formed by erosion from water. So like rivers that are flowing underground going through usually limestone, some kind of soft rock. And just carving out a cave. Um, water typically continues to remain in caves in abundance, either flowing or in pools. So flowing water is necessary if you want a steady source of food to come in that way. But a much better method is via animals that hang out in caves, but frequently order takeout. Talking about bats. <laughs> uh, seems like a, as good a place as any to interject with the major categories of cave animals. So there are troglazines, or cave visitors, 
which can comfortably live on the surface entirely, mostly just go underground for shelter. It's not dirt magazine. Exactly. Troglophiles, which can still mm. do both above and below, but which are able to do either exclusively. Like there are some troglophiles that totally live underground. Cool okay. example is the Mexican cave tetra, which is a Ooh. cool little fish, which if the egg develops in total darkness, the fish will be all white and have no eyes. If the exact wow. same egg develops in light, it'll look like a normal, just like orange fish with normal eyes swimming around. It just totally oh depends on the God. environmental situation in which genes are activated by That's amazing. those cues. Epigenetic Exactly. Cues. Yes. So um, that'd be an example of a troglophile. They can easily live either above or below ground. They can do both. Wow. And then there are my favorites, which are troglobites. Uh, troglobites ah. live 100% of their lives in caves. They can't leave. These are usually the colorless, blind, spooky, weird ones. Like I said, troglophiles can do that too. So if we're talking about animals that live in the water, you just replace the prefix troglo with stigio and you're good to go. So you got stigazines, hmm. st- stigophiles, and stigophytes. Uh, stig- stigophytes, excuse me. Um, mm-hmm, same mm-hmm. exact kind of definitions except in the water. Interesting. So yeah, the, that tetra would be a stigophile. Interesting. So bats, motherfuckers, are troglazines. They sleep in caves, they go eat a bunch of bugs or whatever, then come poop it all out in their cave. Mm-hmm. All the energy and nutrients in their guano then mm-hmm. kicks off the food web of troglophiles and troglobites. So unlike on the surface, there is no straightforward progression from producers like plants to primary consumers like herbivores in general, and then to mm-hmm. secondary and even tertiary consumers, generally your predators. That's why we say like a food chain. Food web is more complicated than that. It's more realistic. But in this case, right. it's even more complicated than a food chain <laughs> or even a food web because mm-hmm. basically everyone who lives in a cave full time is both a predator and a scavenger. And there's also decomposers as well. You're saying it's a food hypercube. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, you got to be super opportunistic and have an impressive energy economy to do all this shit. So what does this mean for the descent and the premise of primates evolving to be troglobites? Here we go. Uh, ain't no way to feed them. That's the main takeaway. Maybe they eat rocks. It <laughs> could be. Or else you say... You ever heard of the- Goron? <laughs> you moron? <laughs> Ah, you may also say, but the movie accounts for this. The crawlers come out at night and hunt deer and stuff. You see, like, carcasses and bones and stuff inside of the cave, so they hunt stuff from outside. Cool, that could be, but then they would be troglozines, just Mm -hmm. chilling in the cave for shelter and getting all their food outside, like bats do. Right. And if that's the case, there would not only be no reason for them to be blind and colorless and stuff like that, there would actually be a fair amount of disadvantage there when it came to hunting. Like, it would make very little sense for them to have evolved to be totally underground if all their food is outside. There you go. Um, I brought up temperature, too, and that's because of the mammalian side of primate cave living. So mammals need warmth and caves are cold. Something as big as a crawler, like the ones in either in quote-unquote real life or in the movie, (laughs) would need a lot of energy to stay alive and warm. And also the Mm -hmm. evolutionary pressure acting on them would make it more advantageous to keep or even grow more fur and not mm. get all bald and gross. Mm-hmm. So if the idea is that primates or humans or whatever evolved inside of a cave, like, well, then if they were to try and stay warm, they would probably end up much fuzzier instead of totally bald. So this is really just the Hollywood take on evolution, which is that if you lock something up in weird conditions for a while, it will automatically turn into something cool. Right. That's their <laughs> take on creepy. evolution. Yeah, creepy. So for my list of reasons in general, all of the species that we see living in caves in real life, full-time, are cold-blooded. 
Uh, hmm. There's barely any food coming in, so their bodies are as efficient as possible, and that mostly right. means a slow-as-hell metabolism in a way right. mammals can't do. So a favorite example of mine regarding this is crayfish, or crawfish, or crawdads if you're nasty. <laughs> Crawfathers if you're formal. <laughs> are those mini lobsters you can find in streams and lakes and stuff. Um, they can live for, I think, like seven or eight years or something like that normally. Uh, that's a normal one. Meanwhile, hmm. the Alabama cave crayfish can live 175 years. Oh. Same size uh, animal. Looks the same except white wow. with their eyes. But their metabolism is so slow that they just live so long. That is unbelievable. Uh-huh. Wow. The same logic also means that troglofauna in general tend not to get particularly large. Mm. The largest known troglobite is the Olm, a European cave, it's O-L-M, European cave salamander that maxes out at, I think, like a foot and change. Woo. Uh, fun fact, Olms were originally thought to be baby dragons. Ah. They're pretty, I'll post a little picture of them, they look pretty cool. Very long and thin and just kind of strange. But that's about as big as we know of troglobites to be able to get. There's so little for them to eat, there's no way for them to be able to grow. And if they do, there's no way to maintain that body mass, so right. it doesn't right. happen. So anyway, those are some issues with the crawlers in the descent in light of how cave species really work. At the end, I'll get into the who cares of it all and generally what my take <laughs> is on how to frame cave monsters in movies. Um, but in general, that's a, a cool and scary movie that I, I do recommend. One movie that kind of tries to address some of these gripes I have is The Cave, very aptly named, which came out one month after The Descent in August wow. 2005. I think there's a movie that came out between them called Into. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. The Cave was kind of the deep impact to The Descent's Armageddon, I think is what this all comes out to. <laughs> the budget for The Cave was $33.3 million. Wow. What is that in pounds? <laughs> 18.3 million at the exchange rate of 2005. Wow, you looked it up. I sure did. <laughs> uh, but in other words, it's more than five times the budget of The Descent. Wow. So this movie must have been just kick-ass, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> this one, the premise is, it's in Romania, I think, and there's this monastery type thing. It has lots of depictions in the artwork of, I think, Templar knights fighting demons and trapping them below. Classic. Some people in like the Cold War go in, get trapped in there, and some weird shit happens, and it kind of like that's the cold open part of it. They're gone. Something we don't know what happens to them, but I'm imagining a scream. Quick cut to modern day. Modern day, there are some professional, um, like some scientists who want to go and map out this cave system, and they um, a lot of it's underwater, so they have this professional dive team coming in with rebreathers and stuff. They'll right. go in. Uh, there's some cave-ins. Shit happens. They get trapped in there. There are monsters. Turns out they're big and scary. Um, as it goes on, I'm, I don't have any problem spoiling a lot of this stuff because it's a movie I do not recommend, except it is fun. It's fun to watch. It's it's, uh, it's a goofy watch. Can I see some of these mon monsters? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Let me send you images of those. Here is an image of kind of what you might see as just a still shot from the movie. You might have to open that one, I think, because it's kind of cropped huh. by Skype. Whoa. They're yeah, really very, borrowing from Alien on this one. They really are. And like the plot in general is basically a clumsy version of Alien. Huh. And then here is like a, a conceptual art version of the creature. So you can just generally see overall what their body looks like when you... As they're moving in the movie, you can see all of this generally. But this Whoa. is a way to see it all at once. 
very interesting looking fun design weird creepy they have wings they uh have these weird claw things on them they're kind of like if a face hugger somehow attached itself to a bat and a xenomorph yeah there you go came out of a bat exactly um they are quite large they're at, at least human size if not a little bit larger it ends up working out that they are humans there's some kind of this virus thing that lives underground that huh. infects every animal that comes in there and transforms them. So you see at one point that when they kill one of these monsters, you see it has a tattoo on it that apparently was on one of the tattoo, like one of the people who was trapped during the cold open uh. in the Cold War. So like, oh, this virus transformed them into this monster, and it looks kind of like the demons from the painting. So this is what people are fighting and trying to keep from getting to the surface. Uh-huh. And generally they fight them and people die and stuff blows up. Lena Headey is in it. At the time when I watched it, I did not know her yet because I hadn't seen Game of Thrones yet and I hadn't seen enough movies. Uh. At one point early on, they find these weird mole monster creatures in like uh, cave mole things. And they determine that this is uh, later figured, oh, this is what these big monsters have been eating. That's how they're able to survive down here. Uh. This is these big cat-sized moles. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so you've, heard, does, of, you've heard of naked mole cats. Exactly. Uh, how does this one compare to real life? So there are a couple more departures from reality on this one, turns out. Oh, boy. Um, mm-hmm. We've got the issue we talked about in the previously mentioned Super Duper Citizen Special Report, where mutation equals magic. Yep. Um, like, one guy gets kind of bitten or scratched by one of these things and starts to turn into one of them. Oh, no. Like, mutation just means turning fundamentally into an entirely different form. So we also have, uh, we got enormous, oh fast-moving monsters that live exclusively underground. Uh, there's a part where one of the characters says that they can smell methane in a chamber they walk into. And I, I remember saying aloud during that part, no, you don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> for our listeners who, I think we may have mentioned this before, but if you are not aware, um, methane, butane, all these different propane, these gases we we recognize by this really gross smell when there's a leak, uh, they actually naturally do not have any smell at all. They add that smell, so you go, uh-oh. We add the gross smell in later with a, a highly volatile thiol compound mm. so that we can easily smell it if there is a leak to make it safer. There you go. Lots to unpack in this movie is my point. They do, as I said, try, <laughs> try to um, lampshade the issue of what could the huge monsters eat by introducing the giant cave mole thingies. I have a picture of the concept what do the art. giant cave moles eat? Exactly. So they try to say, oh, yeah, no, they yeah they eat these cave moles. And they just move on. It's like, yeah, but what do these things eat? Here's the ca- and concept like, well, art. Well, moles eat dirt. Right. Here's the concept art for those. Oh, that body. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't explain how that could get so big. Um, but the biggest hand-wavy response they give for all of this is meant to be a very compelling and unique angle. Whereas most cave creatures evolved from surface animals that moved underground. They argue that this virus thing that's affecting everything in there, or whatever it is, uh, is something that was always underground and never had contact with the surface. So Absurd. <laughs> why is shaking his head all over the place silently, but that is uh, his f- uh, physical response to this? No. So to a Hollywood screenwriter, I can see how this would sound at first like an interesting and alien concept. It sounds spooky, yeah. Yeah, which is neat in theory, but it very quickly makes no sense at all. <laughs> They could have dug into the idea of an entirely separate lineage of life on Earth that evolved purely underground and made something out of that, but that wasn't a question they really, the movie really explored that much. It really would have been more of a whole different movie on its own. An interesting idea, but just, yeah, they too big a concept to just introduce as a passing explanation for a thing. Uh, instead, the cave just used it as an excuse for why Step in the Cave was so weird. That's it. But yeah, the believability throughout is just a mess, and... To be sure, so is the whole movie. (laughs) 
But does any of this matter? Any of my points about cave science or whatever? What uh, what should be changed in these movies to make it better based on what I have been saying about how caves work? So as uh, we've said before, realism should not usually be the main criterion for whether or not a movie is good. But if you decide to explain stuff, especially if it's like a sci-fi sort of thing, that explanation needs to hold at least some water. The more you try to explain and then make it make less sense, the more it distracts from what you're trying to do in the story. It's a very, very paradoxical conundrum. Yeah. So it tends to be the schlockier, shittier sci-fi movies that go out of their way to explain their premise in detail, and in so doing, they effectively like tie their own destroy their yeah, yeah around <laughs> yeah. the show, the movie's inner logic. Um, an example, <laughs> I think we've used this example before. I don't care. I like this as an example of a movie not explaining too much and thus letting a cool premise play out. Annihilation. Yeah, there you go. The Shimmer, as they call the weird kind of force field thing. Um, as they put it, refracts everything, including DNA. And that's it. That's as much as we get for an explanation. It's right. able to just refract all the stuff. So DNA is being swapped between all living things inside of it. And that's... Somehow. The, yeah. That's and yeah, the, the characters in the movie are just as confused as we are. Yeah. So we're like, shit, well... And we don't get or need any more explanation than that. So we can just exactly. focus on the cool, weird, horrific shit that happens from there. Oh, my God. And I will say, you brought <laughs> up this movie... <laughs> I think I've probably mentioned this probably a hundred times on the show already. Mm-hmm. Easily one of the creepiest, most upsetting monsters ever put to film for me. Uh-huh. That <laughs> I was bare. not ready for that. <laughs> and, and it even, made me it was even so better, unhappy. Even better looking at the concept art for it, because then you can oh, see yeah. that the left side of its face is an entire human skull. <laughs> oh, it's so upsetting. It's yeah. awful. It's so great. So yeah, if you haven't seen Annihilation... It's very cool and weird uh, and creepy and just interesting. It's a, I wouldn't mind rewatching that sometime. Actually, it's it's cool. For all the horror moments in it, it is overall almost like an action philosophical film in a weird way. Yes, there are definitely moments that are disturbing and mm-hmm. grotesque and and downright frightening. But I would say those are at most. 15 to 25 percent of the movie the rest of it is kind of just like fascinating dream nightmare yeah it even it's kind of beautiful in its own horrifying way it's right it's a cool combination of stuff doesn't have to make a ton of sense to work and i will say love it love it or hate it it's one of those movies that you'll walk away from going like you know what they went there they like they went for this idea exactly and it it's, was original exactly the originality of it makes it very cool it's like hey i yeah I don't know if I love that or not, but I haven't seen it before. That's for hey, sure. Yeah, I exactly. did not predict any of what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't realize I would be crying and <laughs> hiding behind my popcorn. Uh-huh. But here I am. Um, by contrast, the cave <laughs> goes pretty hard trying to explain where the creatures come from, how Wolf. they work, why they're there, etc. And it just gets cumbersome. Yeah. I honestly thought until like researching for this episode that it was a sci-fi channel original movie when i first watched it so i i did watch it a while after it came out and on sci-fi and i thought watching it oh there's no way this could have been a theatrical release and had a proper budget which i want to reiterate it had five times the budget of the descent wow and yeah for anyone unfamiliar with them somehow sci-fi originals sci-fi channel as you might expect sci-fi fair and they produce their own sort of uh, oeuvre mm-hmm. of let's let's even call them C level fil- film. Yes, it's it is straight up schlocky popcorn face stuffing garbage that they they they're not they're not trying to pretend it's anything else. They're just like look, 
ice spiders are going to attack. That was going to be one of my examples, ice spiders. <laughs> I also really like pterodactyl. That was a very fun one. <laughs> is it, was it spelled terror-dactyl? No, it's just pterodactyl. Just like, it's oh, like, wow. They have a lot of things that are single word names of like whatever the monster is in it is just the name of the movie. And you pretty much know what you're in for. Yeah. And it's a very good time, and it's very silly. Yeah. There is a level of earnestness in the production of it that does oh, yeah. make it have a charm. Where it's like, oh, you guys were kind of trying to make a real movie, but it just <laughs> yeah. got, it didn't work out well for you. No, no, indeed. And that's why I hate the entire Sharknado um, series. Because <laughs> that's why? it's, it, well, it's because it's so self aware of what it's doing, but in a way that does yeah. not make it fun. Yeah, I hear like you. a self-aware bad sci-fi movie is Snakes on a Plane. Right, it hits every trope like on the nose in a really goofy, fun way. It's super dumb, but it's it's not try. It's 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 just very well handled. Whereas Sharknado is trying to go so hard at being dumb, and right. you can you can just feel the director chuckling to himself behind the camera as you oh, watch it. Oh, such a good joke. He thinks he's so fun. It's and it's not. I watched the right. first one and that's it. And I was like, oh, this sucks like I you make you make a good you make a good like yeah that's a good point because there there are movies that can be self-aware in their schlockiness movies that are self-conscious in their schlockiness like that like you've mm. just described and then movies that are purely bad <laughs> and those ones are great too because those ones they're earnestly trying to do something right but they're getting it so wrong that's where you get like troll 2 and the room um, <laughs> yeah exactly things like how did this go so wrong it's fascinating and just what it's all got going on so my suggestion for the cave for how it could improve its whole situation would be to just go full supernatural with their story they mm. kind of make the connection that the creatures look like they're demons and kind of could be the explanation for these things in the artwork on the abbey or whatever it was because mm. yeah they didn't base their creature design at all on cave creatures so you know why stop at that they could just go in a wholly original direction of their own make them actual no, demons no down there huh yeah, right. No, go on. I said uh, no pun intended. Yeah, then uh, maybe <laughs> demonic possession is what's contagious and warps your body into some grotesque shape or some kind of thing. Like, why not? Yeah, they could have a lot of the same premise, but just get rid of all the clunkiness of their explanation for it. Doesn't need right. to have an explanation. I haven't right. actually seen it, but um, <laughs> I do think that, uh, what was it called? As Above, So Below is a supernatural underground spook em up. Ooh. Spook em up. <laughs> Once... Once you don't worry about having a scientific explanation for the stuff that's happening, you can get creative with the horror elements that happen instead. I believe the general premise of that one is that as they're going deeper into the catacombs of below Paris, it's kind of representing the the seven circles of hell. Ah, nice. Which is, yeah, a neat idea. And it's a found footage style, too, which is kind of an interesting premise to go with that. Ah, Um, that's fun. This feels to me like the better bet for cave horror in general is um, get your inspiration from nature especially the aesthetics of it, to get it to look like a weird cave creature. Right. And then just don't dig into the explanation too much. Just leave it as is. Like, here's the thing. Oh, isn't it scary? And then just call it good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lampshade it by having the characters also not know why it's happening. Like, sure. that's like, fine. Have them be confused. I feel like Alien, one of the classic sci-fi horror movies ever, mm-hmm. they're just trying to get out of the situation the whole time <laughs> yeah. there's no like i think it's doing this and that it's just one scary thing after another and everyone's just holding on for dear life and that's super effective i actually watched that for the very first time this uh past fall nice what'd you think it was great <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. so frightening especially the part where uh in the air vent when he turns around with the flamethrower and suddenly it illuminates it right there and it's like just got oh. its arms up that is such a 
an awful but fantastic image. <laughs> I, it's just like, oh no, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my suggestion for the descent, eh, basically nothing. It's it's fine as is. I feel like it's a very solid <laughs> horror movie. As for the complaints I have with this same summer competitor, I don't recall the descent actually having an explanation for the crawlers in the movie itself. Like the director said what he thought they should be, but generally they're just there. So it doesn't really need an explanation. They're just creepy right. doing their thing. Cool character stuff is happening at the same time. So it's a movie that works. There you go. The movie could stand to work on representation with its characters and stuff, but uh, that's Deep a whole cut. different thing. The Bechdel cast, um, Jamie Loftus and Caitlin Durante, covered this pretty well. I think it was just this past fall, actually. Oh, cool. Um, they talked about The Descent, and I recommend listening to that. Nice. But yeah, that is my cave stuff for today. I have a whole lot more I'd like to say about cave ecosystems in general, the different kind of things that live there, how they evolved to be there. But I'll just slowly dull it out over the next 126 episodes or so. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> um, welcome to the cave cast. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so that's, no, that's awesome, man. That was really cool. I'm glad you enjoyed. Now, before we go on, should we boot the NCAA device? I'm booting it up right now. Ah, uh, yes. This. That, of course, is. Go ahead. <laughs> an ancient sort of evilish computer type thing that Jake and I built slash sort of summoned into our existence ages ago for a completely different purpose than what we're about to use it now mm-hmm. uh, which is of course the patron, patron appreciation, appreciation neural dive <laughs> for evaluation risk function <laughs> or pander pander uh, it's a way that we calculate using the computer thingy itself, which we're going to plug into our brains directly here with these tentacles. Right now? There ah. it is. Um, combination of that <laughs> and the kind of strange dark ether in which it works to calculate <laughs> what uh, creature, cryptid, whatever it might be, our Patreon patrons individually need to be on the lookout on for. On the lookout for. Today, we are going to be looking out for Kendall, Kendall H. H. Of San, San Jose. Jose. Ka. Ka. <laughs> Why, I actually do have a couple of nice little cards and a letter from Kendall that came um, Whoa. the past month or so. It's very cute. Let's see the little postcard. Oh, that's very it's cute. It's like a one tombstone, for, the ghost flying out of it. It's decorated with like Christmassy stuff. That's nice. One Did for you? each of us. Yes, she drew both of them. There's one yeah, for, I'll send one to you. I'll send this letter along too. It has a whole just nice little series of messages. Wow, nice, nice that's like, so sweet. It's from um, Kendall and her partner and their cat. Oh well, thank you so very much, Kendall, partner and cat, especially yeah. the cat. If you're wondering how you can send us stuff, you can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't have a PO box yet because we don't have anyone really interested enough to send us mail to justify spending as much as it costs to have a PO box. <laughs> can't afford it help uh, us get there maybe that'll be the new patreon uh goal maybe yeah functioning p.o box kendall just um, thoughtfully sent this to the return address on the stickers we send out for our patrons ah, which is my nice. address and so we got it that was just very sweet there you go thank you so much kendall yeah well then i i'm anxious to find out what we can warn kendall and indirectly her partner and cat about <laughs> and that is Allegheny. <laughs> it's a cryptid that lives in the Allegheny mountain range that cuts through the United States and Canada. 
And no, it is not allegory. <laughs> it is allegory. That's right. Known as a kind of giant that eats human flesh. Obviously, it's, for that matter, highly intelligent and appears to use tools and primitive cloth. Mm. Also appeared to hunt for self-entertainment rather than for oh, survival. God. Like some other primates. And like chimpanzees, they capture their prey and then release them in order to catch them again. Oh, God. Some report it being a large lizard man. Because why not? And a very apropos of the day, they live in caves. <laughs> this near is the top of the mountains. Interesting. And if you if you hadn't caught on already, they are predatory. Uh -huh. They prefer to hunt for their meals, what that means. <laughs> um, related to the earlier dis early discovered Adena tribe, they were said to be some of the largest Native Americans of North America. So I guess they're uh, meant to be a whole civilization of people slash lizards. <laughs> yeah. We were before we were. So. I'm just going to say it right now. Maybe stay away from the Allegheny Mountain Range. Yes. And uh, if you have to go there, just watch out for extremely tall people. Especially if they have scales. Yes. And especially if they say, I caught you, now run away again. So I can catch you again and then eventually eat you. And thank you so very much <laughs> for your Patreon your support. support. <laughs> and we appreciate it very much. Uh, <laughs> and to all of our patrons, we, we can't thank you enough for, again, giving real money to this show that you've been hearing <laughs> that is being made before your very ears um, uh, again you can yeah. get uh, at any level of support from a dollar up you can have your creature calculated with the panda function oh we should unplug this thing while we're doing this oh let's do it yeah there we go mm, much better uh, above that you can get curated outtakes i realized i still haven't released the most recent ones shit sorry i'll do that soon i gotta edit this episode then i'll edit the outtakes um, you can also get mini-sodes, which we haven't recorded. I'll take them, uh, bonus, we'll do better. Bonus mini-sodes. And, uh, yeah, special stickers that only uh, are available to patrons. No one else gets them. They are quarterly. That means four a year. And they're not available anywhere else. They're very cool. They're designed by Lauren Marple, who does all of our artwork for the show. Super cool. Yeah. And above that, uh, merch discounts and free merch. Above that, uh, you just are our friend. There you go, which is the greatest prize of all. <laughs> That's right. We currently have 46 patrons. The 46 most we've friends. Ever had. <laughs> Not yet. None <laughs> of them have paid whatever that amount is at the top tier. Is it $1,400 or something? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's friend for life status or whatever it was, right, I right, believe. Right. That person, who I'm sure is out there, <laughs> is about to be a very lucky person. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually, whenever they decide to. And yes. honestly, at this point, I'd say that person could could just be themselves 12 times <laughs> i would say no <laughs> uh, we do have 46 patrons right now it's the most we've ever had they're very exciting and is taking us That's well awesome. on our 2020 goal of having 50 and keeping 50 and wouldn't that be cool <laughs> so we are now very excited to meet our 2020 goal in 2021 the year of doing everything we wanted to do in 2020 <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah you can sign up at any any level whatever you can afford we appreciate and you also have the option to sign up for an annual plan kind of thing which is um you pay for 12 months at once for the cost of only 10 so ah. nice that's little, nice a little discount on it so if you want to pay for all the months all the, uh, all the ones then it's cheaper <laughs> I can't talk anymore. That means Everyone it's time for me that. to shut up and let you go. Thanks, I patrons. Think it is. Thank you guys so very much. And uh, yeah, allow me to now chew your ears off after pausing, begin recording again before I launch into what is rather a long story about cave. Mm. 
Now, I've asked you ahead of time, Jake, but you have not heard the Ted the Caver story, have you not? I'm fairly certain I have not. All right. This was posted back around 2001, 2002, um, in the form of a blog. So this is some OG SHIT (laughs) when it comes to internet spooky tales. And I will read you the abridged story. It is rather long, even having been abridged as much as I've bridged it. (laughs) And then we can uh, discuss and then go straight to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I have plopped in 10 whole pages worth. Oh, my God. Internet pages, a.k.a. about 36. Oh, my God. God. Word document pages <laughs> worth of stuff that I then whittled down as best I could. Hopefully, this won't take all night. Is this single spaced or like 0.5 spaced, uh, negative <laughs> negative one spaced? The the lines are so tightly clustered that there are literally words on top of words. It's just solid black. <laughs> solid black text. <laughs> um. All right. <clears throat> Due to the overwhelming number of requests I have received to tell about my discoveries and bizarre experiences in a cave not far from my home, I have created this webpage. I will outline the events that happened to me during the past few months, beginning with my journey into a familiar cave in December 2000 and ending... Well, it hasn't actually ended yet. I will use my caving journal as the text to tell about my recent experience. I will give them, the entries, to you as I experience them in chronological order. I want to point out a few things before I tell about the events. Number one, most of the pictures were taken with a Kodak disposable type camera. I took a better camera into the cave on one or two of the trips. Pictures on this site are all original photos and have not been messed with or enhanced, other than where noted. I will not reveal the names of the other people involved in this experience. If you know me well enough, you probably know them already. And number three, I will not reveal the location of the cave to anyone for any reason, so please don't ask. I refuse to be held accountable for anyone's life but my own. I will refer to the cave as Mystery Cave. That is not its real name. (laughs) If you think these events sound far-fetched, I agree. I would come to the same conclusion had I not experienced them myself. This is some standard uh, boilerplate kind of uh, horror intro stuff. Sounds good. Indeed. Indeed. Buckle. (laughs) Buckle on up. (laughs) I'm going to move my glass. I'm going to put my legs up on the corner of my table. There we go. And I will. Desk. I will re. There we go. Stretch a little bit here. Wyatt re. So he's good to go. I'm ready to go. Okay. B and I decided to get in one more caving trip before the new year. So we set our sights on Mystery Cave. I'm going to take my pants off. Hold on a second. Here we go. (laughs) Just get real comfy. Yeah. Oh, you're actually doing it. (laughs) Not a spectacular cave, but since neither of us had been caving in a while, it would be nice to go to any cave. There was a bit of excitement to this trip. There was a small passage in the lower portion of the cave that I wanted to check out to see if it was possible to get past. It had a small opening, but lots of air blowing out of it. Even though it is way too small to climb through, I had never even checked to see what was inside the passage. And he, mo- he notes here, I will refer to B many times. We have been caving together for many months now. He was injured in a caving accident a few years ago and was told he would never walk again. Through hard work and perseverance, he not only walks, but can get around very well in caves. The trickier parts of a cave might slow him down a bit, 
but he can make it. He patiently works through an obstacle until he gets past it. Like that can-do caver spirit. Exactly. As for the reference to the small opening in the cave, there is a saying among cavers, if it blows, it goes. Meaning, <laughs> if a passage has a good flow of air, it is probably worth investigating. And I'll leave the naughty jokes to everyone at home. <laughs> That's my addition. After we explored all the usual passages, we climbed down to check out the hole. Jake? <laughs> the hole is located deep in the cave, near the lowest part. It is on the side of a wall, about three feet from the floor. To look inside the hole, I had to kneel down to duck under an overhang of rock. And then he has a picture. Oh, there's pitches. There's going to be a few pitches with this story. So he that stuck is... his glove in it. Okay, cool. That's not him being dragged away by the monster. <laughs> He was dragged to that hole? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he got spaghettified. <laughs> I used my backup mini mag light and held it inside the hole. The wall around the hole was about three to five inches thick. It led into a tight passage. The passage opened up a bit just inside the hole. It continued back about 10 to 12 feet in a small crawl space. After that, it seemed to really open up, although how much, we couldn't tell. To even get to the crawl space, we would have to enlarge the opening. Currently, it is about the size of my fist. Once we get past the opening, we would have a tight crawl back to where it opened up. I would take, it would take some work, but we thought we could do it. We sat down for a few minutes to rest and contemplate our plan of attack. While we sat there in the darkness, we could hear the wind howling from the other side of the passage. It was a low, eerie noise. We could also hear a low rumble from time to time. No big deal, though. The cave is in the vicinity of a highway that has heavy trucks driving on it. We figured the rumble was in the uh, was the effect of the trucks resonating through the rocks. We determined that our best plan would be to haul a cordless drill into the cave to drill into the rock. And then we could take a bullpen and a small sledgehammer and break the rock up. It seemed pretty straightforward. We would widen the hole big enough to squeeze in and see what was on the other side. Mm-hmm. The efforts to haul all the equipment down to the hole would be a pain, but we hoped it would be worth it. I named the passage Floyd's Tomb after Floyd Collins. It seemed to look like the tight spot where Floyd met his last miserable days on Earth. If he's who I think he is, then that was a very sad story and a very just like horrifying way to go out. And this is his doodle in his journal. Ooh, I like this. This is very Microsoft Paint looking. Uh... Yes. <laughs> uh, what are you seeing, Jake? Yeah, so on the left-hand side is a little stick figure that looks just wonderful, and then a lot of airbrush to demonstrate just what part <laughs> of the rocks, and showing here where the narrow original entrance is, about three inches, the wide area just beyond, the squeeze, which is all just part of this kind of tunnel going down, and then unknown area. Our light's only illuminated about 20 feet back. So at the end of this whole kind of little passage, they don't know what's there. Thank you very much. The, he goes on fl- with a note. Floyd Collins was a caver back in the early 1900s. He got stuck in a tight crawl space and was unable to free himself. It is an amazing story that is detailed in a book called Trapped, the Story of Floyd Collins. Calling our passage Floyd's Tomb was not only a tribute to Floyd, but a commentary of the size of the passage. All right, work begins January 27th through 28th, 2001. B and I were both excited to get back into the cave and get to work. I figured with about four hours work, we could be in and see what was on the other side. We had arranged to borrow a DeWalt cordless drill to bring with us. Not a sponsor. Yeah. We also had masonry pits to drill with, sledgehammers to break up the rock, bullpens to insert into the drill holes, and a few other tools that we ended up not using. 
Getting the tools down to the work site proved to be a challenge. One of us would climb down the rope and stop at a ledge or a good resting place, then the other person would lower the tools. We kept repeating this routine until we got to the bottom of the cave. Then we had to drag the tools to the hole. It took about an hour to finally get to work. The routine went like this. To begin work, we had to get down on our knees and do our best to avoid smacking our heads on the ceiling. Working in this awkward position, we would drill into the wall around the hole. That was difficult work. We really had to push on the drill, and it was, uh, and it was still slow progress. Then we inserted the bullpen into the hole and hammered on it until the rock broke up. Then we would repeat the process. To give you an idea of how slow it went, the typical size rock that would break off was about fingernail size. If we broke off a large piece, about a third the size of my palm, it was cause for celebration. And he goes on at some length about this process. Sounds tedious. It does. His next entry, on caving. The cave was discovered several decades ago when construction in the area unearthed its entrance. From that time to the present, it has been visited mostly by locals in the area and avid cavers in the region. Beer cans can be found intermittently in the cave, mostly in the upper half. When the cave was first entered, it was probably beautiful. Dust, graffiti, vandals, pigeons, (laughs) and regular use have diminished its appeal. There were still places in the cave where small formations remained undisturbed, as a reminder of what the rest of the cave used to look like. And then he describes the four passageways inside the cave, one of which leads to the hole in the wall. Um, Again, about the size of a softball. To get near the hole, the caver ducks under an overhang and kneels upon the rocks that rise above the floor by a few inches. By the time the caver reaches this point, he is either uh, either warm or sweating. And the first thing he notices is the cool breeze blowing out of the hole. It was my recognition of this hole as a potential doorway to unexplored portions of the cave that ultimately led to the telling of my story. So, anyway, he just wanted to offer some backstory. I have cut it down like crazy. (laughs) Um, The next entry details Ted and B's initial efforts to further widen the hole. They bring B's dog, Whip, with them. Whip is normally enthusiastic about cave crawls, but becomes noticeably nervous near the hole. And I will send you a picture of Whip to prove his existence. <laughs> a picture of, I was like a stock image of a dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, here's a dog. It says Getty all over it. All right. <laughs> we were on our fourth battery. B had just finished drilling a hole and was getting ready to hammer the bullpen when he stopped working and looked into the hole. He looked over at me and shook his head. I asked him what was up. He said that he swore he just heard what sounded like rock sliding on rock. Sort of a grinding sound. Mm-hmm. I assumed his ears were just ringing from the drill. He didn't wear any earplugs this trip. He assured me he heard what he said he heard. B is very grounded and not one to pursue some imaginary sound. And I believe he heard something, but I wasn't too concerned about what it was. I assumed we would figure it out once we got through the passage. I decided to see if I could get my head through the hole. My head easily fit, but there was no way my shoulders were going in. As I was kneeling there, contemplating how close we were, I noticed the wind had stopped. Mm -hmm. In all the times I've been in the cave, I have always felt the wind blowing. The last time we were out working on the cave, the wind was blowing worse than ever. Even earlier, we remembered the breeze cooling us off. But now, nothing. Mm -hmm. We made a lot of progress this trip. 
It helps to have extra batteries. We still have a long way to go, but it sure is nice to see how far we have come. So a note about his head fitting through but not his shoulders. I learned from at least one of these cave books that as long as your shoulders can fit through a space, generally the rest of you can too. There you go. That is the widest skeletal part of you. Uh, wow. yeah, that is a hole that is being widened. It's definitely bigger than when <laughs> the glove was in it. Uh, and they decide not to bring the dog again because he got spooked. Well, that's nice. I'm glad that that's the direction that went. It took us three weeks before we got back out to Mystery Cave again. Our attitudes had changed a bit since we first started the project. In the beginning, we looked at the whole thing as a fun adventure. Since the last trip out, we found ourselves taking a more serious approach. On the drive out this time, our conversation was a little more subdued than before. Instead of discussing ways of getting through the passage, we found ourselves talking about rational explanations for what had happened. Neither one of us had any ideas. We were amused to find out that neither one of us had talked much about the last trip to other people. That is a complete reversal from other trips. Mm-hmm. It has been fun to report to friends and family about our progress. It is always fun to tell people about the tight squeeze we are going to have to go through to get into the passage. Most people have little desire to voluntarily subject themselves to incredibly tight spaces. Most people don't have much desire to voluntarily subject themselves to the story of what they're doing in the caves. <laughs> uh, so yeah. we dug a hole a little bit bigger today. It's going to be really hard to fit in. It's a yeah. hole in some rock. We It's dug a hole in some rock. It only took us 14 hours. <laughs> so they get down to the cave. They work on the hole for a while. It is difficult to get the exact feel of the tomb, but the lowest point near the back of the picture is about 7 inches high. The width is about 20 to 24 inches. The hammer is a small 5-pound sledge. This trip out, I wanted to see if we could speed up the work by using larger masonry bits. I was kneeling down and working the drill slowly into the wall at the time. I had my earplugs in, my safety glasses on, and was lost in my own thoughts. Suddenly, over the squeal of the drill wearing down the rock, I heard a strange noise. It was loud. I could hear it over the noise of the drill, even though I had the earplugs in. At first, I thought it was just the drill bit doing its job on the cave. It would frequently complain by screeching and whining as we forced it into the wall. But this was different. It took me several full seconds to comprehend that this was coming from inside the hole, not the bit. I stopped drilling and yanked my earplugs out just in time to hear the most terrible scream I have ever heard trail off and echo into the darkness of the cavern. I stared wide-eyed at the hole for several moments. I turned to look at B. Moments earlier, he had been lying on the rope bag, catching a nap. Now, he was standing upright, mouth open, with a look of concern on his face. I turned and looked into the hole again, half expecting to see some creature staring back at me. Nothing was different in Floyd's tomb. I fixed my gaze on the back of the squeeze, where the limits of my light reached. There was no motion. (laughs) Only darkness beyond the reaches of my light. In the complete silence that followed, I could hear my heart pounding in my ears. B said to get some rocks and put them into the hole. He explained that whatever animal had made that noise might be able to get through the hole. I immediately grabbed a few rocks and hoisted them through the opening. Using the handle of the sledgehammer, I slid the rocks as far back into the tunnel as I could reach, creating a wall between us and the other side. Since the squeeze was so small, it didn't take long. From the time it happened to the writing of this journal, I have tried to come up with uh, some possible source for such a noise. To describe it, I would say it sounded like a cross between a man screaming in fear and a cougar screaming in pain. Mm -hmm. It sounded like it came from the hole and was roughly 100 feet away. 
The noise reverberated through the cave and through my ears, which is typically how hearing works. <laughs> B estimated the scream lasted 8 to 10 seconds. My best guess is about 5 seconds. 3 seconds while I was drilling, 1 and a half seconds to drop the drill and yank the earplugs, and another half second or so of sheer terror. After I filled the back of the passage with rocks, we just sat there listening to the silence. Finally, B suggested we get back to work, but keep an eye out for movement in the hole. We put a light in the passage that shined to the back of Floyd's tomb. I was still strained to listen above the sound of the drill. I heard nothing but the now familiar sound of carbide on stone. So, they leave, they rally, they return, they widen the hole again, and finally Ted can get himself inside to begin his first attempt at the squeeze. So, boy, we got the opened up hole. Yep, that's definitely bigger. Boy, this really happened <laughs> like they yeah. did all of a sudden they said they did <laughs> oh and here's there he is going through the hole Ted's sticking his body through the little, hole little butt sticking out mm-hmm his little took us once i got my upper body inside the tomb i had a few inches all around me in which to position myself this was the largest part of the passage and it was conveniently located right at the beginning of the crawl that gave me a little room to get positioned to crawl further into the passage even though this was the largest part of the crawl, it was still small. I could move my head around freely, but every direction that I turned, I was staring at a wall of solid rock. When I spoke to B, my voice sounded muffled, like I was talking in a small box. Up to this point, the size of the passage was not too big of a deal. I was in an incredibly small passage, but only my upper body was in, and since it was the largest part and my arms could move freely, I felt pretty calm. Then it was time for a push. My hips barely fit. Once I cleared the entrance, I could relax a bit and get in position to work toward the squeeze. I decided to try the one-arm-forward technique to get through. The passage was so narrow that whatever position I started with, I would have to stay with through the entire length. Mm -hmm. There was just no room to move around or change, change positions. I would also have to turn my head one way or another and keep it in the same position. The, this crawl was tight. That's the thing about caves that I am less into. Like I think they're beautiful inside. The idea of them is very cool. The ecology of it is amazing. Uh, actually exploring them seems nightmarish. <laughs> this is something that I think is one of the most successful things about this post, which is that whether you believe what happens or not, the part of him crawling through the cave is just like... Ugh. Very viscerally, like, yeah. Claustrophobia-inducing. You ever been in a cave? Me? Not, not like... In any major sense, I think I've I've jaunted into what could technically be called a cave, but okay. is not appreciably deep. I really wanted to go like actually spelunking when I when I lived in Missouri because that's the state that has the most like the highest number of caves in the U.S. But I never had anyone to go with who knew how to do stuff. There is one you can go into the Devil's uh, Devil's Ice Box. Um, you can go into part of it, but a lot of it's all sealed off because that's not it, what I heard it was called. <laughs> it's all sealed off um, to protect the bats that live there from white nose syndrome. Um, but the part you can go into, just one one entrance that, like, uh, you kind of go in, you turn to the left, there's a stream running through it, and you go over to where the stream uh, meets the ceiling. You, on the other side, outside in the that part of the state park, you can see where the stream comes out, which is kind of neat. Um, you can look at little bugs and stuff that swim in there. When you go down, and instead of turning left, you look to the right. The stream just goes in a straight line off as far as your light will go and just goes into darkness. It's really, really cool. Oh, and it's like that's so cool. Between three and five miles of cave system in that direction that just winds wow. all through. 
so cool. I would love to see something oh like that. Oh, my God. I did go into, like, I had a tour through the Marble Arch Caves in, um, where, what's the name of that place? Uh, Florence Court in uh, Northern Ireland. Hmm. Very, very pretty. Very cool. It's a tour thing. Like, it's, it, like any cave that's been, like, thoroughly commercialized. It has, like, platforms you walk on. It's one point where little little dinghy through part of the river part and then onto more paths that are all paved. Still really cool to see all that stuff. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. But not at all the same as actually spelunking. Even so, a very cool experience. Well, to continue. So he's getting into the crawl. Everywhere I looked, there were rocks. And not too far from my head. Any sound I made was muffled and dead. This is a bit of a rhyme now. (laughs) The narrowest part of the passage was about 10 feet in. At this point, I was about three and a half feet in. At about the That's four foot still mark, rhymes, even if it's the same word. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> At about the four foot mark, I would have to commit to whatever position I felt comfortable in, and stay that way until the twelve foot mark, at which time the cave started opening up. As I inched forward, I would try to brush the loose rocks away with my left arm. Then the walls started to close in around me. <laughs> I had a few extra inches on each side of me, but the top of the crawl was getting very low. I had to just push ahead with my toes and pull with my forward arm. I had B tie webbing to my feet just in case he had to pull me out. Oh, that looks miserable. Oh, my God. (laughs) So tight. Oh, wow. Jake is seeing this guy. I guess this could even be the uh, thumbnail. Yeah, why not? Just a guy um, going face first through. I'm surprised they're not wearing helmets for any of this. He's talking about worrying about hitting he his head in the he ceiling. He couldn't fit it. He couldn't fit oh, it. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. fair. But uh, yeah, it's basically just like this is the uh, minimum amount of space that can accommodate a human body. And you're just kind of like squirming into it. It looks it makes, awful. Yeah. <laughs> he goes on at length through some of these entries about just like the process. Overcoming the process. Yeah, exactly. When I reached the point where my back was rubbing and I could feel with my head the passage was not getting bigger, I knew I was most likely not going to get through. Still, I decided to give it one more push. I took a few minutes to rest, then I went for it. I exhaled completely all of the air in my lungs. This caused my chest to collapse enough to scoot forward a few inches. Because it takes so much effort to scoot, I only went a few inches before I had to stop and breathe unbelievably i did it again exhale scoot rest again only a few inches repeat Mm. at last my back was rubbing too much to continue backing out was not too difficult but did take some work i encountered the same obstacles as when i went in but i didn't care to me this trip was a success i had pushed myself beyond what i thought was possible So, the men make further preparations over the next set of days and return, ready to hit the passage hard. They fashion a pole chisel to widen the tightest part of the squeeze for Ted to shimmy through, and he makes another attempt. After a harrowing but steady crawl, he gets to a point where he can sort of kind of actually crawl on, like, hands and knees. Oh, that's a little bit better. Yes. I shouted back to B that I was through. We both took a moment to congratulate ourselves on our success. B would likely never be able to squeeze through the passage and see what I was seeing, so I gave him a description of what the cave looked like. It's rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's more rocks, dude. He's like, oh my god, I wish I could see that. <laughs> Using the rope, uh, B sent through my helmet and light. 
After I got the light fired up, I was able to see our new section of cave. Ours! It was an exciting experience to see the results of hours of hard work over the course of several weeks. I strapped on my gloves and knee pads, grabbed my camera, and began my adventure. I crawled through the passage, which was about 20 feet long. At the end of the crawl, the cave bent slightly to the right. I would have to climb up a gentle slope, but then I would be able to stand by the end of the next section of cave. The next section was about 40 feet long. In addition to having a higher ceiling, the walls were a little wider than the section I had just crawled through. Both sections were relatively straight. The floor was covered with a rock which crunched as I crawled and then walked across. The walls were basically the same as much of Mystery Cave, except pristine. It was obvious no one had been there before me. He finds and describes some interesting cave formations along the walls as he heads in further. Uh, the cave winds on and on for over 100 feet before it turns left and opens up into a room. Mm. Just at the point where the room began, there was a round rock that appeared to be leaning against the wall. This seemed odd, but singular formations are common in caves, so it is by no means unique. I had crawled and stepped over several large chunks of rock that fell down from the ceiling, but this one was more round than the others. Once past the rock, the room opened up to a height of about 15 feet. Mm -hmm. It was also about 15 feet in width and about 30 feet in length. At the far end of the room, there was another passage leading straight out. As I entered the room, I had an eerie feeling. <laughs> Once again, the excitement of the new find faded, and the memories of the mysterious side of the cave crept back into mind. Suddenly, I felt very alone. I took several pictures of the room. I was going to just get a feel for how long the next passage was when something caught my attention. On the left side of the room on the wall, at about eye level, I discovered a single drawing that almost appeared to be just part of the rock coloration. It looked like very crude representations of people standing below a symbol. I was pumped. This meant that there had to be another entrance to this cave. Even if the entrance was closed or blocked, it might mean an opportunity to, to open it and get B into the cave. Hmm. I took another look at the drawing to make sure I could describe it to B. Then I took some more pictures and headed back. And the drawings are just like very detailed depictions of the two of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god. <laughs> or it's like the Knights Templar fighting cave <laughs> monsters. <laughs> I started into the squeeze very close to the tight spot, so at least I would have it over with soon. It turned out to be tricky getting through. I was a little over halfway when I heard a sound deep within the cave. <laughs> it was the faint but distinct sound of rock sliding on rock. My blood froze in its veins. I couldn't move. I just lay there, strained to hear the sound again, but nothing. I quickly began to scoot toward the exit. I didn't mm. mention the sound to B. But I did recall uh, one of our earlier trips when B said he heard the same thing. Mm -hmm. So they get out of the cave. They recruit a third caver named Joe, or he, who he refers to as Joe, to help them explore. Joe is enthusiastic to join. He's a slighter build even than Ted and quickly gets through the squeeze on their next excursion. Uh, the men decide not to tell him about the weird events. <laughs> Ted follows him through the squeeze. But right when he gets to the other side, he accidentally bumps his head super hard. And instantly dies. And instantly dies. The journal is taken over by Joe. <laughs> no, he's, he's rattled and badly hurt and decides to let Joe head along solo while he crawls back to B instead of risking uh, further trouble away from help. 
And uh, while waiting for Joe, Ted and B both grow uneasy as their minds turn to the darker elements of their experiences so far. And the fact that the only person in there is the one person who doesn't know about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, we both wished we had not sent Joe into the cave alone. (laughs) B went to the hole and yelled into it, Joe, no answer. Not surprising. You just can't hear each other when you're very far apart in a cave. We nervously awaited any sounds, good sounds, that is, Joe-type sounds. The 20-minute time limit we had set had passed. Then 25 minutes. Just as I was getting prepared to go back through, I saw a light deep in the passage. Joe? I called out. Nothing. Joe! Still no answer. The light got brighter, and I could hear the noise of someone crawling across the broken rock that lined the cave. You okay, Joe? No, was his weak reply. When he got to the other side of the tomb, he said he was not feeling well. He quickly took his gear off and put them in the bag so he could pull it through. As I pulled the bag through the passage, he began to climb back through the tomb. We didn't even have a chance to question him about what he saw before he was coming back through. He quickly slipped through the squeeze and the hole, and we finally got a look at him. He looked terrible. His face was pale, and he was out of breath. He had numerous small cuts and scratches on his face and arms, probably from his rapid exit from the passage. His eyes were wide open. He started to head up and out of the cave without saying a word. While Joe and I started for the service, I took a minute to gather our gear. Then I stopped to listen to the passage. The wind had stopped. Part of me wanted to get out of the cave as fast as possible, but another part wanted to immediately climb back through the passage to find out what made this cave tick. At that moment, I noticed B and Joe had made uh, good time getting up the cave passage, and I was left alone. Mm -hmm. Chills ran through my body as I scurried to catch up with them. Once we got outside the cave, I figured we would be able to find out more from Joe. But when he got up... Uh, the final climb, he just unclipped from the rope and went straight to the truck. In the light of day, he looked even worse than in the cave. I asked him if he saw the cave drawings. No. Did he hear us yelling? No. (laughs) Did he see the, the round rock? No. He said he just went a little ways in and started to feel sick. Why would he not elaborate? So after this trip, the men are not able to get in touch with Joe again, and he leaves the story. Hmm. Two weeks after our trip with Joe, and we were on our way back to the cave. To prepare for this trip, we contacted the local cave rescue group and got permission to borrow their low-voltage two-way phone. The phone consists of two transceivers and a long spool of thin wire. I would then be able to unwind the wire as I went into the passage and stay in contact with B the entire time. We also thought it would be a good idea to take a video camera into the new passage. Uh Uh-oh. I purchased a case that would uh, protect my video camera from dust, as well as sharp rocks. I was more than willing to pay the cost of the case just to make sure B got to see the entire passage, and I'll let you know now, there's no video. Okay, good. (laughs) Right from the beginning, it seemed like the cave did not want us to be there. Nothing went smoothly. Does the case for the camera uh, protect it from more locks? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Good. More, more lock proof. Um, every time we tried to clip a carabiner or tie a knot or attach something to the rope, we had to do it two or three times to get it right. Fortunately, we recognized this and made sure everything was safe and secure. 
As we slowly made our way down, we were continually bumping into the side of the cave or stumbling as we walked or dropping things. Finally, we made it to the tomb. We checked the camera and phone to make sure they survived the trip. We tested everything and I gathered the gear that I wanted to take into the passage. Then it was time. Mm -hmm. The trip through Floyd's tomb went smoothly, figuratively speaking. After I got through, we took several minutes to get everything passed through to me. I got suited up and I tested all the equipment. The phone worked like a charm. I videotaped the squeeze and then the first section of the new passage. Since I would be unable to tape when I, while I crawled, my plan was to crawl to the next section, then stop and film some more. I could video what I had just been through and then video what I was going to crawl through next. Mm -hmm. That way, I could get each section from both ends. I was starting to feel pretty good about the trip. I felt a sense of personal satisfaction at being able to provide a way for B to see the fruits of his labor. It was awkward lugging the camera and unrolling the phone wire while trying to crawl, but I knew it would be worth it. So he makes his way slowly and steadily forward. Things were going pretty good until I reached the round rock. Once again, I got a strange feeling just like the last time. I looked around carefully, but saw nothing to be alarmed about. Hmm. I proceeded to film the entire room. I got good shots of the round rock from all angles. I got the walls, the ceiling, the floor to the best of my ability. I even got some pretty good tape of the figure on the wall. It was difficult to make out exactly what it was on the video, but you could definitely tell something was there. Hmm. After I taped everything to my satisfaction, I moved toward the end of the room to prepare to explore new territory. <laughs> At the far end of the large room was a passage that led to darkness. The entrance was about a foot lower than my head, and it looked like it continued at that height for as far back as I could see. I ducked under the ceiling and prepared to see new sights. The walls of the new passage were darker than the rest of the cave to this point. The floor was made up of the same type of broken rocks. The ceiling had the same type of near-perfect arch as in the old section of Mystery Cave. It almost seemed out of place in that jagged atmosphere of the cave. I can only see back about 30 feet or so where the passage appeared to make a right-hand turn. I thought this would be a good place to check in with B. It took a couple of beeps before he answered the phone, but once he did, his voice was still crystal clear. It sounded like he might have been snoozing. Had I been gone that long? He said he was doing fine and that I could take as much time as I needed. I thanked him and hung up. His patience has been wonderful during this whole project. He's spent a lot of time just waiting for me while I explore the passage. I was glad he was still willing to sit and wait. I hung up the phone and started to film the new passage, and then it happened. <laughs> From behind me, I heard the scraping noise. <laughs> it was loud, and it was close. <sighs> it was coming from the large room I had just left. Mm. I wheeled around to face whatever had made that noise. When I did, I lost my presence of mind and stood up at the same time. Mm. Crunch. My helmet crashed into the passage ceiling. My light broke, and I was buried in the heavy darkness. Oh, no. Pain shot through my neck and down into my back. The helmet that had protected my head, but my neck was nearly numb from the impact. Fear enveloped me, and my knees began to weaken. I slowly and involuntarily slumped down. I gently set the camera down as I began to see stars from the pain in my upper back. The scraping noise lasted only a second, but now the only sound I could hear was my own panicked breathing. Not only could I feel the fear thick upon my chest, but the darkness seemed to hold me in place. I felt like I was vulnerable from every direction. I wanted to turn and look behind me and to the side of me and in front of me. Everywhere I looked, I only saw black. 
Finally, I broke the stupor of terror long enough to reach for an alternate light source, the mini-mag on my helmet. I twisted the light to turn it on. I had forgot to put fresh batteries in, and now I could Uh. barely see more than a few feet. Still, it was better than nothing. I began shining the light with all my might into the large room. I strained to get a glimpse of any movement in the room. Nothing. I was shaking violently as I sat there, trying to figure out what to do. I honestly thought I was going to die right there in the cave. Then I remembered the phone and my glow sticks. Without taking my eyes off the large room, I felt around in my pack for the glow sticks. I took my eyes off the large room only to check the passage behind me occasionally. I found a glow stick and broke it to light it up. The soft green glow created eerie colors on the walls of the cave. Mostly green. (laughs) Yeah. Eerie, not quite blue colors. (laughs) (laughs) Almost yellow? Almost yellow, I guess. (laughs) But no. (laughs) The stick provides barely enough light to see the immediate area and provided no hint of what lied ahead. Of what lay ahead? I felt the pack for one more light, again without taking my eyes off the room. I felt a third glow stick and ripped it out of the package. After breaking it to make sure it worked, I hesitated, then threw the glow stick into the large room. The throw was a perfect one, and the stick sailed through the length of the room. In in the brief moment that the light traveled through, I saw nothing but cave walls. The absence of anything unusual did nothing to to ease my state of panic. At the far end of the room, I got a brief glimpse of the round rock as the light bounced on it. Then the light went behind the rock and seemed to disappear. Mm-hmm. I was still shaking, but at least I didn't see anything. Still, there was the noise. I used the glow stick to light the phone reel, and with fumbling fingers, I managed to plug my phone into the jack. I put the phone to my ear, and nothing. The usual beeps to indicate connection with the other phone were not there. Mm-hmm. Terrified, I pulled the phone from the jack and reinserted it. Again, silence. The line was dead. I knew the only way out of here was back the way I came, but I was sure something was there. Mm-hmm. I knew if I waited too long, I would lose what little light I had. So, using the walls of the cave, I was able to slowly stand. Still breathing rapidly, I slowly advanced through the room. My eyes were staring straight ahead, straining for any signs of movement. With every step, my light would cast ever-changing shadows on the wall, keeping me busy trying to look at every one. The only sounds I could hear were the crunch of my feet on the broken rock and the wheezing of my breath. The short trip through the room took an eternity. Toward the far end, I could see the round rock dimly at the far reaches of my light. Hmm. Something seemed different about it, but I couldn't tell what. When I got within a few feet, I could finally tell that it had moved. That must have been the sound I heard. Again, terror gripped my entire body as I realized how close I was to something. I had no choice but to continue. I inched toward the rock, holding the glow stick ahead of me in my shaking hand. I stopped near the rock and realized why I had lost contact with B. The rock was now sitting on the wire. Mm. I gave it a tug, but the thin wire snapped. With the phone now useless, I set it down in the passage. I proceeded forward around the rock, and when I reached the other side, I recoiled in horror. The rock had been covering up another passage from the one I was in, (gasps) but obviously the rock could not have moved by itself. I stared down the newly discovered passage. It went down at a 45-degree angle and continued straight for as far as I could see. 
Several feet down, I could see the glow stick that I had thrown. It illuminated the passage enough that I could tell the walls were fairly smooth. The floor seemed to be the same way, unlike the rest of the cave. The passage was about three feet in diameter, as far as I could see. It would have been an easy passage to explore if I had had the least desire to do so. Right now, all I wanted was out of the cave and into daylight. I slowly backed away from the hole toward B. I noticed my mini-mag was practically dead, leaving me only with the glow stick. I wanted to sprint to Floyd's tomb. As I turned away from the large rock and the hole, I felt an overwhelming sense of panic. It felt like something was about to attack me from behind. My only thought was to get out as quickly as possible. When I got to the point in the passage where I had to crawl, I flung myself down on all fours, barely slowing down as I dropped. I held the glow stick in my hand, but I had ceased checking behind me. Finally, I reached the last stretch of cave before the squeeze. As I was crawling toward the beginning of the tomb, I called to B. He answered back. I screamed to him to get everything ready to go. He asked if I was okay. I told him no and to get everything ready to go. When I reached the rope, I flipped off my helmet and shoved it into my pack. For the first time, I realized I had forgot my video camera. <laughs> it was a fleeting thought. I tied the pack to the rope and told him to pull it through. Then I told him to start heading toward the surface as soon as he pulled the rope through. He asked why, and I screamed that there was something in the cave with us. Just as I started into the squeeze, I felt the wind in the passage increase, and with it, mm. the most nauseating stench I have ever experienced. It smelled so damp and rotten, I almost started to dry heave. Wow. B yelled at me to hurry up and get through. I told him I was coming, then I took a deep breath through my shirt and started back through. This time through the squeeze, I had no regard for the tightness of the passage. <laughs> I was scraping my face, ears, arms, and shoulders. Halfway through Floyd's tomb, I was approaching exhaustion, and my respiration rate was through the roof. As I paused briefly to recuperate, I heard the scraping noise coming from deep within the cave. <laughs> it continued for several seconds, then silence. <laughs> In a panic, I began to scoot through the passage. I reached the largest part of the tomb. I quickly slid my arms under my body to get into position to exit through our hole. I grabbed the rope and pulled with all my might. Normally, I would carefully work my way out, since there was a three-foot drop on the outside of the hole, but this time I kicked and pulled with my arms, and plop, I dropped straight out. The smell was much less intense outside the passage. I grabbed the glow stick and used it to find my helmet. I began to head for the webbing to climb up while st uh, strapping on my helmet. Once again, the feeling of being alone returned, motivating me to proceed. Climbing up the little drop-off, I scrambled to catch up with B. I was impressed with the speed of his ascent. I did not see or hear B until I reached the small area at the bottom of the drop. He was on rope and climbing out as fast as he could. I could hear him moving quickly and breathing heavily. I called out to him, and his startled reaction told me he was nearly as tense as I was. He told me to get on rope and start climbing. We both knew that would be dangerous and not something we would ever normally do, but this was different. I stood there, looking at where the rope disappeared into the darkness above me. It danced around as B made his way to safety. He was out of sight, but I knew he was close. I knew the rope was my lifeline to the outside, to light, to safety. Behind me was darkness and fear. I slid the glow stick into the cord on my helmet and reached for my harness. Then I thought I would let B get a little bit higher while I pulled the rope up that was stretched down into the cave. That would make it easier to get out once we got to the top of the drop. I had about half of it in, about 50 feet, when the rope hit a snag. 
There was no way I was going to crawl back in to release it, so I decided to just forget the rope and get my harness on and get out of the cave. I quickly threw the harness around me and started to buckle it. Before I could secure it, I heard a strange noise at my feet. I looked down at the rope only to discover to my horror that the rope was disappearing down into the darkness. (laughs) I let go of the harness and began clawing my way up the rope. Fortunately, I held on to an ascender. I was climbing as fast as my battered body could haul me up. I could see rays of light above me coming from the entrance of the cave. By the time I got to the entrance of the cave, in daylight, B was almost up to where the rope was anchored. I wanted to get up so bad I almost started uh, to free climb without clipping onto the rope. I could see B was almost up, so I clipped on and started up. As I climbed, I could hear the rope beginning to stretch from sustained tension from below. The second that I reached the top, I unclipped the ascender. I could see B kneeling down by the tree, so I limped over to him and collapsed. For the first time since I went through Floyd's tomb, we could see each other. We just stared. B's face was pale, almost white. His mouth and eyes were wide open. He was breathing heavily, almost gasping. Then we heard the rope around the tree stretch and the knot B had tied tighten. In one motion, B produced a pocket knife and began to work on the rope. When the rope was cut, it zipped across the rocks and over the edge of the cliff. I got up and headed toward the truck. I noticed B was still laying there, wide-eyed, staring at the point at which the rope had disappeared. I called to him, which seemed to break his trance. He got up and hurried over. Neither of us said a word all the way home. Wow. The end. Huh. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. It's kind of fun. Yeah. It was just the right kind of scary story where it didn't have too much detail. Yeah, which yeah. Which is actually exactly. just the kind of thing that we're talking about in my section. Where it's like, <laughs> if you it don't try and explain exactly. too much, it works really well. <laughs> Oh my god. It's it's even more effective with all the other details in because mm-hmm. it's like almost boring to read. Mm-hmm. He gives you so much and it turns out well first I mean just to make just to make uh something out of it. What do you think? True fake or somewhere in between? I assume fake just cuz it's so it's too I don't know. It's it's interesting cuz like typically this is early 2000s you said? Yeah. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, Creepypasta really took off in a big way when, like, the no sleep Reddit, uh, subreddit and stuff popped up and, and people started going crazy with it and stuff. I can't remember when, when um, Creepypasta specifically became, like, a genre, but um, <laughs> the majority of it is written by, like, teenagers just having fun trying out creative writing. And it's rare, I feel like, to find stories like this where it's told from someone who genuinely knows the subject matter they're talking about and really did do a lot of the stuff they said they did. Like, and has yes. evidence to back it up. Like, here's a photo of the hole. Here's it bigger. We made it bigger. Here's me climbing through this clearly extremely tight passage. Like, <laughs> all this stuff right. did happen. So it's like, okay, well, are the scary parts just embellishments? Like, it it has the convenient, like, oh, I, I forgot the camera. Like, all this stuff. So that part of it is, okay, there's no no way to prove what did or didn't happen in that part of it. So right. um, my instinct is to say that it is fictitious but very well done yeah it's he the cave is real the guy is real the journey was real all of the sort of monster stuff is is fabricated cool um, so he he comes clean on this i'll include the link to the post where he's like talking about this basically he and this guy b his name is i think brad or something like this they really did open up 
a passage on what is called Interstate Cave. I think it's in Arizona hmm. or Utah. Same difference. Can, same difference. <laughs> and yeah, he just was having fun and wanted to embellish it and make it spooky, which is a great job. Good on you, man. Yeah. And I guess he came forward about it because someone had basically copied a lot of his story mm. and posted it as their own. They'd like mm. changed certain details to, you know, obviously shift the narrative a little bit. But uh, he was like, all right, all right, all right. This is actually my story. They're never going to like use it for money or nothing. Just sort of having fun. But I'm kind of feeling like, you know, I did I did work on this right. <laughs> yeah. a lot. So he comes clean about all the stuff. And it's it's kind of cute. Kind of That's fun. cool. I love that a lot. Yeah. So there you go, a cave, a cave horror movie in miniature. Yeah, I think that would make a good short film. Indeed. Better get started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's that's what I have for you today. Awesome. No major commentary, just figured I would serve up some spooks. I loved it, that was great. And I actually did dovetail quite well with my segment because it was an example of how to do it right. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Oh. Well, there, there you go. Classic alley dunk from the two of us. Everyone out there, you're welcome. <laughs> Two, three uh, hours into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you for finding that story. Thank you for doing the hard work of paring it down so much. I, I imagine that was not easy, especially with so much of it being so good. It's hard to know what to take out. Hard to know where to, to trim. Well, thank you guys for listening to our caveness. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, and Wyatt, for indulging my insistence on doing an episode about caves. Just so excuse to do my shit. You get at least one. I do. <laughs> if you like this show, if you like this episode or not, if you like the show in general, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcast app, especially Apple Podcasts, because that's the big one that gets us the most uh, uh, traffic and attention, and that's helpful. <laughs> um, cause of the week. I want to once again shout out an alternative news outlet that I've been pretty impressed with recently. Uh, I think I previously mentioned Unicorn Riot, either on the show or on our social media. I don't remember which, but uh, they got some cool shit. This one is called It's Going Down. Uh, hmm. Very useful look at the awful shit that's going down. Uh, mm -hmm. As it happens, without all of the hand-wringing typical of the major news outlets, it's just very no-nonsense and straightforward. I like that about it. It's cool. Cool. Uh, they describe themselves as anarchists, non-sectarian, and generally anti-capitalist and anti-colonial in terms of the voices they platform. So, this is a neat uh, departure from the normal shit. There you go. So you can follow it's going them. down. Yeah, you can follow them at IGD underscore news or go straight to it's going down.org where you can also support their work financially if you're able uh we'll link to that in the description noise noise and yeah thank you guys so much for tuning in we mm -hmm. will try to be back as soon as we can <laughs> as soon as we can <laughs> and um, uh yeah yeah happy new administration <laughs> yes <laughs> uh we love you goodbye Bye.